Section 20 of Manners, Customs, and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Donna Stewart. Manners, Customs, and Dress During the Middle Ages and During the Renaissance Period by Paul Lacroix. Section 20. Guilds and Trade Corporations uncertain origins of corporations ancient industrial associations the germanic guild colleges teutonic associations the paris company for the transit of merchandise by water corporations properly so called etienne boileau's book of trades or the first code of regulations the laws governing trades public and private organization of trade corporations and other communities energy of the corporations masters journeymen supernumeraries and apprentices religious festivals and trade societies trade unions learned authorities have frequently discussed without agreeing on the question of the origin of the corporations of the middle ages it may be admitted we think a priori that associations of artisans were as ancient as the trades themselves it may readily be imagined that the numerous members of the industrial classes having to maintain and defend their common rights and common interests would have sought to establish mutual fraternal associations among themselves the deeper we dive into the ancient history the clearer we perceive traces more or less distinct of these kinds of associations to cite only two examples which may serve to some extent as an historical parallel to the analogous institutions of the present day we may mention the roman colleges which were really leagues of artisans following the same calling and the scandinavian guilds whose object was to assimilate the different branches of industry and trade either of a city or of some particular district Indeed, brotherhoods amongst the laboring classes always existed under the German conquerors from the moment when Europe, so long divided into Roman provinces, shook off the yoke of subjection to Rome, although she still adhered to the laws and customs of the nation which had held her in subjection for so many generations. We can, however, only regard the few traces which remain of these brotherhoods as evidence of their having once existed, and not as indicative of their having been in a flourishing state. In the fifth century, the hermit Ampelius, in his Legends of the Saints, mentions consuls or chiefs of locksmiths. The corporation of goldsmiths is spoken of as existing in the first dynasty of the French kings bakers are named collectively in six thirty in the laws of de gobert which seems to show that they formed a sort of trade union at that remote period we also see charlemagne in several of his statutes taking steps in order that the number of persons engaged in providing food of different kinds should everywhere be adequate to provide for the necessities of consumption which would tend to show a general organization of that most important branch of industry in lombardy colleges of artisans were established at an early period and were no doubt on the model of the roman ones ravenna in nine forty three possessed a college of fishermen and ten years later the records of that town mention a chief of the corporation of traders 
and in 1001 a chief of the corporation of butchers. France at the same time kept up a remembrance of the institutions of Roman Gaul, and the ancient colleges of trades still formed associations and companies in Paris and in the larger towns. In 1061, King Philip I granted certain privileges to master chandlers and oilmen. The ancient customs of the butchers are mentioned as early as the time of Louis the Seventh, 1162. The same king granted to the wife of Yves la Cobre and her heirs the collectorship of the dues which were payable by tanners, purse-makers, couriers, and shoemakers. Under Philip Augustus, similar concessions became more frequent, and it is evident that at the time trade was beginning to take root and to require special and particular administration. This led to regulations being drawn up for each trade, to which Philip Augustus gave his sanction. In 1182 he confirmed the statutes of the butchers, and the furriers and drapers also obtained favorable concessions from him. According to the learned Augustin Thierry, corporations like civic communities were engrafted on previously existing guilds, such as on the colleges or corporations of workmen which were of Roman origin. In the guild, which signifies a banquet at common expense, there was a mutual assurance against misfortunes and injuries of all sorts, such as fire and shipwreck, and also against all lawsuits incurred for offences and crimes, even though they were proved against the accused. Each of these associations was placed under the patronage of a god or of a hero, and had its compulsory statutes. Each had its chief or president chosen from among the members, and a common treasury supplied by annual contributions. Roman colleges, as we have already stated, were established with a more special purpose, and were more exclusively confined to the peculiar trade to which they belonged. But these, equally with the guilds, possessed a common exchequer, enjoyed equal rights and privileges, elected their own presidents, and celebrated in common their sacrifices, festivals, and banquets. We have therefore good reason for agreeing in the opinion of the celebrated historian, who considers that in the establishment of a corporation, the guild should be to a certain degree the motive power, and the Roman college with its organization the material which should be used to bring it into existence. It is certain, however, that during several centuries, corporations were either dissolved or hidden from public notice, for they almost entirely disappeared from the historic records during the partial return to barbarism, when the production of objects of daily necessity and the preparation of food were entrusted to slaves under the eye of their master. Not till the twelfth century did they again begin to flourish, and, as might be supposed, it was Italy which gave the signal for the resuscitation of the institutions whose birthplace had been Rome, and which barbarism had allowed to fall into decay. Brotherhoods of artisans were also founded at an early period in the north of Gaul, whence they rapidly spread beyond the Rhine. Under the emperor Henry I, that is, during the tenth century, the ordinary condition of artisans in Germany was still serfdom. But two centuries later, the greater number of trades in most of the large towns of the empire had congregated together in colleges or bodies under the name of unions, einungen or inungen, 
as for example at Gosler, at Würzburg, at Brunswick, etc. These colleges, however, were not established without much difficulty and without the energetic resistance of the ruling powers, inasmuch as they often raised the pretensions so high as to wish to substitute their authority for the senatorial law, and thus to grasp the government of the cities. The thirteenth century witnessed obstinate and sanguinary feuds between these two parties, each of which was alternately victorious. Whichever had the upper hand took advantage of the opportunity to carry out the most cruel reprisals against its defeated opponents. The emperors Frederick II and Henry VII tried to put an end to these strifes by abolishing the corporations of workmen, but these powerful associations fearlessly opposed the imperial authority. In France, the organization of communities of artisans an organization which in many ways was connected with the commercial movement, but which must not be confounded with it, did not give rise to any political difficulty. It seems not even to have met with any opposition from the feudal powers, who no doubt found it an easy pretext for levying additional rates and taxes. The most ancient of these corporations was the Parisian Hans, or Corporation of the Bourgeois for Canal Navigation, which probably dates its origin back to the college of parisian note existing before the roman conquest this mercantile association held its meetings in the island of lutetia on the very spot where the church of notre dame was afterwards built from the earliest days of the monarchy tradesmen constituted entirely the bourgeois of the towns above them were the nobility or clergy beneath them the artisans Hence, we can understand how the bourgeois, who during the twelfth and thirteenth centuries were a distinct section of the community, became at last the important commercial body itself. The kings invariably treated them with favor. Louis the sixth granted them new rights. Louis the seventh confirmed their ancient privileges, and Philip Augustus increased them. The Parisian haunts succeeded in monopolizing all the commerce which was carried on by water on the Seine and the Yon between Mont and Auxerre. No merchandise coming up or down the stream in boats could be disembarked in the interior of Paris without becoming, as it were, the property of the corporation, which, through its agents, superintended its measurement and its sale in bulk and, up to a certain point, its sale by retail. No foreign merchant was permitted to send his goods to Paris without first obtaining lettre de Anse, whereby he had associated with him a bourgeois of the town, who acted as his guarantee and who shared in his profits. There were associations of the same kind in most of the commercial towns situated on the banks of rivers and on the sea-coast, as, for example, at Rouen, Arles, Marseille, Narbonne, Toulouse, Ratisbon, Augsburg, and Utrecht. Sometimes neighboring towns, such as the great manufacturing cities of Flanders, agreed together and entered into a leagued bond, which gave them greater power and constituted an offensive and defensive compact. A typical example of this last institution is that of the commercial association of the Hanseatic towns of Germany, which were grouped together to the number of eighty around their four capitals, viz. Lübeck, Cologne, Danzig, and Brunswick. Although, as we have already seen, 
Previous to the 13th century, many of the corporations of artisans had been authorized by several of the kings of France to make special laws whereby they might govern themselves. It was really only from the reign of Saint-Louis that the first general measures of administration and policy relating to these communities can be dated. The king appointed Etienne Boileau, a rich bourgeois, provost of the capital, in 1261, to set to work to establish order, wise administration, and good faith in the commerce of Paris. To this end, he ascertained from the verbal testimony of the senior members of each corporation the customs and usages of the various crafts, which for the most part up to that time had not been committed to writing. He arranged and probably amended them in many ways, and thus composed the famous Book of Trades, which, as M. Depping, the able editor of this valuable compilation, first published in 1837, says, has the advantage of being to a great extent the genuine production of the corporations themselves, and not a list of rules established and framed by the municipal or judicial authorities. From that time, corporations gradually introduced themselves into the order of society, the royal decrees in their favor were multiplied and the regulations with regard to mechanical trades daily improved not only in paris and the provinces but also abroad both in the north and the south of europe especially in italy germany england and the low countries etienne boileau's book of trades contained the rules of one hundred different trade associations it must be observed however that several of the most important trades such as the butchers tanners glaziers etc were omitted either because they neglected to be registered at the chatelet where the inquiry superintended by boileau was made or because some private interest induced them to keep aloof from this registration which probably imposed some sort of fine and a tax upon them in the following century the number of trade associations considerably increased and wonderfully so during the reigns of the last of the valois and the first of the bourbons the historian in the antiquities of paris henry sauval enumerated no fewer than fifteen hundred and fifty-one trade associations in the capital alone in the middle of the seventeenth century it must be remarked however that the societies of artisans were much subdivided owing to the simple fact that each craft could only practice its own special work. Thus, in Boileau's book, we find four different corporations of paternotriers, or makers of chaplets, six of hatters, six of weavers, etc. Besides these societies of artisans, there were in Paris a few privileged corporations, which occupied a more important position and were known under the name of corps de marchands, their number at first frequently varied, but finally it was settled at six, and they were termed les six corps. They comprised the drapers, which always took precedence of the five others, the grocers, the mercers, the furriers, the hatters, and the goldsmiths. These five for a long time disputed the question of precedence, and finally they decided the matter by lot, as they were not able to agree in any other way. 
apart from the privilege which these six bodies of merchants exclusively enjoyed of being called upon to appear though at their own expense in the civic processions and at public ceremonials and to carry the canopy over the heads of kings queens or princes on their state entry into the capital it would be difficult to specify the nature of the privileges which were granted to them and of which they were so jealous it is clear however that these six bodies were imbued with a kind of aristocratic spirit which made them place trading much above handicraft in their own class and set a high value on calling themselves as merchants thus contemporary historians tell us that any merchant who compromised the dignity of the company fell into the class of the lower orders that mercers boasted of excluding from their body the upholsterers who were but artisans that hatters who were admitted into the sea score to replace one of the other trades became in consequence merchants instead of artisans which they had been up to that time notwithstanding the statutes so carefully compiled and revised by etienne boileau and his successors and in spite of the numerous arbitrary rules which the sovereigns the magistrates and the corporations themselves strenuously endeavoured to frame order and unity were far from governing the commerce and industry of paris during the middle ages and what took place in paris generally repeated itself elsewhere serious disputes continually arose between the authorities and those amenable to their jurisdiction and between the various crafts themselves notwithstanding the relation which they bore to each other from the similarity of their employments in fact in this as in many other matters social disorder often emanated from the powers whose duty it was in the first instance to have repressed it thus at the time when philip augustus extended the boundaries of his capital so as to include the boroughs in it which until then had been separated from the city the lay and clerical lords under whose feudal dominion those districts had hitherto been placed naturally insisted upon preserving all their rights so forcibly did they do this that the king was obliged to recognize their claims and in several boroughs including the bourg l'abbé the beaubourg the bourg saint-germain and the bourg auxerrois etc there were trade associations completely distinct from and independent of those of ancient paris if we simply limit our examination to that of the condition of the trade associations which held their authority immediately from royalty we still see that the causes of confusion were by no means trifling for the majority of the high officers of the crown acting as delegates of the royal authority were always disputing amongst themselves the right of superintending protecting judging punishing and above all of exacting tribute from the members of the various trades the king granted to various officers the privilege of arbitrarily disposing of the freedom of each trade for their own profit and thereby gave them power over all the merchants and craftsmen who were officially connected with them not only in paris but also throughout the whole kingdom thus the lord chamberlain had jurisdiction over the drapers mercers furriers shoemakers tailors and other dealers in articles of wearing apparel the barbers were governed by the king's varlet and barber the head baker was governor over the bakers and the head butler over the wine merchants 
These state officers granted freedoms to artisans, or, in other words, they gave them the right to exercise such and such a craft with assistants or companions, exacting for the performance of this trifling act a very considerable tax. And, as they preferred receiving their revenues without the annoyance of having direct communication with their humble subjects, they appointed deputies who were authorized to collect them in their names. The most celebrated of these deputies were the Rois des Merciers, who lived on the fat of the land in complete idleness, and who were surrounded by a mercantile court which appeared in all its splendor at the trade festivals. The great officers of the crown, exercised in their own interests and without a thought for the public advantage, a complete magisterial jurisdiction over all crafts, they adjudicated in disputes arising between masters and men, decided quarrels, visited, either personally or through their deputies, the houses of the merchants in order to discover frauds or infractions in the rules of the trade, and levied fines accordingly. We must remember that the collectors of court dues had always to contend for the free exercise of their jurisdiction against the provost of Paris, who considered their acquisitions of authority as interfering with his personal prerogatives and who therefore persistently opposed them on all occasions for instance if the head baker ordered an artisan of the same trade to be imprisoned in the chatelet the high provost who was governor of the prison released him immediately and in retaliation if the high provost punished a baker the chief baker warmly espoused his subordinate's cause at other times the artisans if they were dissatisfied with the deputy appointed by the great officer of the crown whose dependents they were would refuse to recognize his authority in this way constant quarrels and interminable lawsuits occurred and it is easy to understand the disorder which must have arisen from such a state of things by degrees however and in consequence of the new tendencies of royalty which were simply directed to the diminution of feudal power the numerous jurisdictions relating to the various trades gradually returned to the hand of the municipal provostship and this concentration of power had the best results as well for the public good as for that of the corporations themselves having examined into corporations collectively and also into their general administration we will now turn to consider their internal organization it was only after long and difficult struggles that these trade associations succeeded in taking a definite and established position, without, however, succeeding at any time in organizing themselves as one body on the same basis and with the same privileges. Therefore, in pointing out the influential character of these institutions generally, we must omit various matters specially connected with individual associations, which it would be impossible to mention in this brief sketch in the fourteenth century the period when the communities of crafts were at the height of their development and power no association of artisans could legally exist without a license either from the king the lord the prince the abbot the bailiff or the mayor of the district in which it proposed to establish itself these communities had their statutes and privileges they were distinguished at public ceremonials by their liveries or special dress as well as by their arms and banners they possessed the right freely to discuss their general interests and at meetings composed of all their members they might modify their statutes 
provided that such changes were confirmed by the king or by the authorities. It was also necessary that these meetings, at which the royal delegates were present, should be duly authorized, and lastly, so as to render the communication between members more easy, and to facilitate everything which concerned the interests of the craft, artisans of the same trade usually resided in the same quarter of the town, and even in the same street. The names of many streets in Paris and other towns of France testify to this custom, which still partially exists in the towns of Germany and Italy. The communities of artisans had, to a certain extent, the character and position of private individuals. They had the power in their corporate capacity of holding and administrating property, of defending or bringing actions at law, of accepting inheritances, etc. They dispersed from a common treasury which was supplied by legacies, donations, fines, and periodical subscriptions. These communities exercised, in addition, through their jurors, a magisterial authority, and even, under some circumstances, a criminal jurisdiction over their members. For a long time they strove to extend this last power, or to keep it independent of municipal control and the supreme courts, by which it was curtailed to that of exercising a simple police authority strictly confined to persons or things relating to the craft. They carefully watched for any infractions of the rules of the trade. They acted as arbitrators between master and man, particularly in quarrels where the parties had recourse to violence. The functions of this kind of domestic magistracy were exercised by officers known under various names, such as kings, masters, elders, guards, syndics, and jurors, who were besides charged to visit the workshops at any hour they pleased in order to see that the laws concerning the articles of workmanship were observed they also received the taxes for the benefit of the association and lastly they examined the apprentices and installed masters into their office the jurors or syndics as they were more usually called and whose number varied according to the importance of numerical force of the corporation were generally elected by the majority of votes of their fellow workmen, though sometimes the choice of these was entirely in the hands of the great officers of state. It was not infrequent to find women amongst the dignitaries of the arts and crafts, and the professional tribunals which decided every question relative to the community and its members were often held by an equal number of masters and associate craftsmen. The jealous, exclusive, and inflexible spirit of caste, which in the Middle Ages is to be seen almost everywhere, formed one of the principal features of industrial associations. The admission of new members was surrounded with conditions calculated to restrict the number of associates and to discourage candidates. The sons of masters alone enjoyed hereditary privileges, in consequence of which they were always allowed to be admitted without being subjected to the tyrannical yoke of the association. Generally, the members of a corporation were divided into three distinct classes, the masters, the paid attendants or companions, and the apprentices. Apprenticeship, from which the sons of masters were often exempted, began between the ages of twelve and seventeen years and lasted from two to five years. In most of the trades, the masters could only receive one apprentice in his house besides his own son. 
tanners dyers and goldsmiths were allowed one of their relatives in addition or a second apprentice if they had no relation willing to learn their trade and although some commoner trades such as butchers and bakers were allowed an unlimited number of apprentices the custom of restriction had become a sort of general law with the object of limiting the number of masters and workmen to the requirements of the public the position of paid assistant or companion was required to be held in many trades for a certain length of time before promotion to mastership could be obtained when apprentices or companions wished to become masters they were called aspirants and were subjected to successive examinations they were particularly required to prove their ability by executing what was termed a chef d'oeuvre which consisted in fabricating a perfect specimen of whatever craft they practised the execution of the chef d'oeuvre gave rise to many technical formalities which were at times most frivolous the aspirant in certain cases had to pass a technical examination as for instance the barber in forging and polishing lancets the wool-weaver in making and adjusting the different parts of his loom and during the period of executing the chef d'oeuvre which often extended over several months the aspirant was deprived of all communication with his fellows he had to work at the office of the association which was called the bureau under the eyes of the jurors or syndics who often after an angry debate issued their judgment upon the merits of the work and the capability of the workmen on his admission the aspirant had first to take again the oath of allegiance to the king before the provost or civil deputy although he had already done so on commencing his apprenticeship he then had to pay a duty or fee which was divided between the sovereign or lord and the brotherhood from which fee the sons of masters always obtained a considerable abatement often too the husbands of the daughters of masters were exempted from paying the duties a few masters such as the goldsmiths and the cloth workers had besides to pay a sum of money by way of guarantee which remained in the funds of the craft as long as they carried on the trade after these forms had been complied with the masters acquired the exclusive privilege of freely exercising their profession there were however certain exceptions to this rule for a king on his coronation a prince or princess of the royal blood at the time of his or her marriage and in certain towns the bishop on his installation had the right of creating one or more masters in each trade and these received their license without going through any of the usual formalities a widower or widow might generally continue the craft of the deceased wife or husband who had acquired the freedom and which thus became the inheritance of the survivor the condition however was that he or she did not contract a second marriage with any one who did not belong to the craft masters lost their rights directly they worked for any other master and received wages certain freedoms too were only available in the towns in which they had been obtained in more than one craft when a family holding the freedom became extinct their premises and tools became the property of the corporation subject to an indemnity payable to the next of kin at times and particularly in those trades where the aspirants were not required to produce a chef d'oeuvre 
the installation of masters was accompanied with extraordinary ceremonies which no doubt originally possessed some symbolical meaning but which having lost their true signification became singular and appeared even ludicrous thus with the bakers after four years apprenticeship the candidate on purchasing the freedom from the king issued from his door escorted by all the other bakers of the town bearing a new pot filled with walnuts and wafers on arriving before the chief of the corporation he said to him master i have accomplished my four years here is my pot filled with walnuts and wafers the assistants in the ceremony having vouched for the truth of this statement the candidate broke the pot against the wall and the chief solemnly pronounced his admission which was inaugurated by the older masters emptying a number of tankards of wine or beer at the expense of their new brother the ceremony was also of a jovial character in the case of millwrights who only admitted the candidate after he had received a caning on the shoulders from the last elected brother the statutes of the corporations which had the force of law on account of being approved and accepted by royal authority almost always detailed with the greatest precision the conditions of labour they fixed the hours and days for working the size of the articles to be made the quality of the stuffs used in their manufacture and even the price at which they were to be sold night labour was pretty generally forbidden as likely to produce only imperfect work we nevertheless find that carpenters were permitted to make coffins and other funeral articles by night. On the eve of religious feasts, the shops were shut earlier than usual, that is to say at three o'clock, and were not opened on the next day, with the exception of those of pastry cooks, whose assistance was especially required on feast days, and who sold curious varieties of cakes and sweetmeats notwithstanding the strictness of the rules and the administrative laws of each trade which were intended to secure good faith and loyalty between the various members it is unnecessary to state that they were frequently violated the fines which were then imposed on delinquents constituted an important source of revenue not only to the corporations themselves but also to the town treasury the penalty however was not always a pecuniary one for as late as the fifteenth century we have instances of artisans being condemned to death simply for having adulterated their articles of trade this deception was looked upon as of the nature of robbery which we know to have been for a long time punishable by death robbery on the part of merchants found no indulgence nor pardon in those days and the whole corporation demanded immediate and exemplary justice according to the statutes which generally tended to prevent frauds and falsifications in most crafts the masters were bound to put their trademark on their goods or some particular sign which was to be a guarantee for the purchaser and one means of identifying the culprit in the event of complaints arising on account of the bad quality or bad workmanship of the article sold besides taking various steps to maintain professional integrity the framers of the various statutes as a safeguard to the public interests undertook also to inculcate morality and good feeling amongst their members a youth could not be admitted unless he could prove his legitimacy of birth by his baptismal register and to obtain the freedom he was bound to bear an irreproachable character 
artisans exposed themselves to a reprimand and even to bodily chastisement from the corporation for even associating with and certainly for working or drinking with those who had been expelled licentiousness and misconduct of any kind rendered them liable to be deprived of their mastership in some trade associations all the members were bound to solemnize the day of the decease of a brother to assist at his funeral and to follow him to the grave in another community the slightest indecent or discourteous word was punishable by a fine a new master could not establish himself in the same street as his former master except at a distance which was determined by the statutes and further no member was allowed to ask for or attract customers when the latter were nearer the shop of his neighbour than of his own in the middle ages religion placed its stamp on every occupation and calling and corporations were careful to maintain this characteristic feature each was under the patronage of some saint who was considered the special protector of the craft each possessed a shrine or chapel in some church of the quarter where the trade was located and some even kept chaplains at their own expense for the celebration of masses which were daily said for the souls of the good deceased members of the craft these associations animated by christian charity took upon them to invoke the blessings of heaven on all members of the fraternity and to assist those who were either laid by through sickness or want of work and to take care of the widows and to help the orphans of the less prosperous craftsmen they also gave alms to the poor and presented the broken meat left at their banquets to the hospitals under the name of garçon or compagnon de devoir this surname was at first specially applied to carpenters and masons who from a very ancient date formed an important association which was partly secret and from which freemasonry traces its origin the companions notwithstanding that they belonged to the community of their own special craft also formed distinct corporations among themselves with a view to mutual assistance they made a point of visiting any foreign workman on his arrival in their town supplied his first requirements found him work and when work was wanting the oldest companion gave up his place to him these associations of companionship however soon failed to carry out the noble object for which they were instituted after a time the meeting together of the fraternity was but a pretext for intemperance and debauchery and at times their tumultuous processions and indecent masquerades occasioned much disorder in the cities the facilities with which these numerous associations possessed of extending and mutually cooperating with one another also led to coalitions among them for the purpose of securing any advantage which they desired to possess sometimes open violence was resorted to to obtain their exorbitant and unjust demands which greatly excited the industrious classes and eventually induced the authorities to interfere lastly these brotherhoods gave rise to many violent quarrels which ended in blows and too often in bloodshed between workmen of the same craft who took different views on debatable points the decrees of parliament the edicts of sovereigns and the decisions of councils as early as the end of the fifteenth century and throughout the whole of the sixteenth severely proscribed the doings of these brotherhoods but these interdictions were never duly and rigidly enforced 
and the authorities themselves often tolerated infractions of the law, and thus license was given to every kind of abuse. We have frequently mentioned in the course of this volume the political part played by the corporations during the Middle Ages. We know the active and important part taken by trades of all descriptions in France and in the great movement of the formation of communities. The spirit of fraternal association which constituted the strength of the corporations, and which exhibited itself so conspicuously in every act of their public and private life, resisted during several centuries the individual and collective attacks made on it by craftsmen themselves. These rich and powerful corporations began to decline from the moment they ceased to be united, and they were dissolved by law at the beginning of the Revolution of 1789 an act which necessarily dealt a heavy blow to industry and commerce. End of section 20 Recording by Donna Stewart, Seattle, Washington